Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Poodle Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by City Hall reporter Joshua Fector. Business columnist and editor Greg Jefferson. Investigative reporter Brian Chasnov. We're recording this on the morning of uh, Monday, March 1st, uh, as San Antonio and the state continue to recover from uh, the, the freeze we had week before last, which uh, caused a lot of people to lose power and, and lose water. And a lot of people are still in the process of recovering from that. And uh, we just hope everyone out there is, is doing okay and, uh, and has come, come through this um, well. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the issue of uh, the mayor's race because uh, we're really only about two week, two months away from the city elections, and there have been so many other things going on that it's it's been easy to sort of forget about it. And uh, I think, in a way, you know, the, the mayor, Mayor Ron Nuremberg, would almost in, like the idea of, of people not focusing too much on the mayor, mayoral contest. Uh, he's he's sort of ignoring uh, his opponents, uh, including his primary opponent, Greg Brockhouse. Josh, you've written about the fact that Brockhouse has been eager, maybe desperate is the word, to get uh, Nuremberg um, to to do a one-on-one debate with him. And that that doesn't seem to be happening right now, right? No. Uh, you know, you know, for the past couple of weeks, you know, the Nuremberg camp has, you know, taken up this position of, you know, look, we're not going to do debates. We're we're busy dealing with the pandemic, and now we're busy dealing with the fallout from the the freeze crisis. We don't want to get into sort of like a uh, you know back and forth with um, you know somebody they don't seem to really consider a legitimate candidate, despite the fact that Brockhouse you know fought him to a runoff and nearly ousted the mayor uh, last time. Uh, you know Brockhouse is trying to force uh, Nuremberg's hand on this. They basically issued this letter demanding sort of five debates uh, before the start of early voting, I believe, uh, you know, last week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their argument is, is, is basically, if you look at Brockhouse's social media, is that, you know, Nuremberg doesn't think, you know, he has to fight for the honor of being San Antonio's mayor, which is a paraphrase of something Brockhouse said. Um, but, you know, Nuremberg uh, is 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 not budging, even though um, you know his his lead campaign consultant and campaign chairman uh, Gilberto Ocañas last week actually said, "Hey, you know, never say never." Um, so, yeah. is there the possibility coming down that that this is that the two men could face each other again? Uh, I guess we'll have to see. I think the the strategy is almost to just ignore him and treat him like he's just a kind of a fringe candidate, like he's. Like he's almost like Michael Commander Drogo or something like that. I mean, the, even though he was a council member, you know, and and all, as you said, almost one two years ago, just sort of treat him that he's just as though he's just not he's not a serious person, and we're just we don't we don't have time for that at all. Um, but last week there was a debate. Uh, it did not feature uh, Ron Nuremberg, but it had five candidates, including Greg Brockhouse, and this was held at the Restoring Church. 
And to give a little bit of background, to give you some context on this, the pastor of the Restoring Church, Daryl Crane, is someone who, uh, after the November election, was one of the many people uh, supporting Donald Trump who kept pushing this idea that there had been fraud in the election. He, uh, he appeared at a rally in late November saying that there were demonic forces at work and that God was going to do something that we've never seen before in the United States. Uh, and five weeks later, we did see something we'd never seen, which was uh, thousands of Trump supporters uh, uh, invading the Capitol and then taking it over. But uh, that's, so that was, that was the context. A lot of the crowd was, uh, was kind of like-minded. Uh, and um, you had at this debate, uh, because Nuremberg wasn't there, you had six chairs lined up five for the candidates. You had one in which they placed this huge Bernie Sanders poster. It was the, the Bernie Sanders image from the inauguration where he's got the mittens on. And, um, and above uh, the, the picture of Bernie Sanders, it had a, a speech bubble saying, where's Ron? And uh, so it kind of went from there. You had uh, candidates, Gary Allen, who ran for Joaquin Castro's congressional seat last year and, and lost in a Republican runoff. He's running for mayor. And he said some things like, uh, you know, kind of blaming Ron Nuremberg for the the blackouts that we had a couple of weeks ago, which were ordered by the state grid operator, ERCOT. Um, but he blamed him uh, and said, uh, I think we should build a nuclear plant by uh, Ron Nuremberg's house. I think that would be good. So uh, and you had the candidates at this debate, uh, you know, talking about uh being asked about and talking about uh, the possibility of radical leftists taking over the city. Uh, there was a reference to a California law that was mischaracterized as a pro-pedophilia uh, law that, and they were asked what, what their thoughts were on, on doing something like that in San Antonio. So it was, it was very much coming from that angle. Um, you had one candidate, Denise Gutierrez Homer, who uh, accused Ron Nuremberg of trying to buy off people with tacos. Uh, people might remember a week before last, uh, he, partnered with some uh, local businesses to, uh, I think, provide like 1,000 lunches to people who were recovering from uh, the blackouts. So it, that, was, that was kind of the tenor of it. The interesting thing for me is that in this environment, which was a, a, you know, a, an extremely uh, right-wing environment, Greg Brockhouse sort of tried to assume the tone of the kind of the, the statesman. He talked about Black Lives Matter protesters and, and in the made it clear that he didn't agree with them and said, we, we don't exclude anybody. We listen to everybody. He talked about the homeless and said, we have to have compassion. He said, uh, with regard to COVID, uh, we have to balance things. You know, we don't want to have the government instituting uh, shutdowns, but you know, we, have to be, we have to be responsible. And so he, he was trying in this, in this environment where there was a lot of wild rhetoric flying around to be the kind of uh, the statesman-like figure. Um, whether it, 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 it achieved anything for him at all is, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, Greg, you had uh, a column last week looking at the jobs issue, which I think is one of the, one of the biggest, if not the big, uh, the, the biggest issue in this race. Near, Brockhouse has said, I, I want to be the jobs mayor. And he has said that Nuremberg has failed on that issue. What did, what did you find when you looked into Nuremberg's record? <laughs> well, so about three years ago, uh, Nuremberg, it was, it was during his first State of the City address, he pledged to create 7,000 new jobs over the, the ensuing two years. And it was just, it was such an unnecessary and silly pledge to make. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a lot of ways, it was kind of a rookie's mistake. He was, you know, less than 10 months in office. He was trying yeah. to connect with the 
business community. It was, it was just over the top. And you, you know, you, you had the sneaking suspicion that job creation wasn't going to come anywhere close to that. And in fact, like if, if you look over, you know, from, uh, April, 2020, and you'll cut them, you know, I cut them a break because of the pandemic. I I looked from uh, April, 2020 to February, uh, pardon me, uh, April, 2018 to uh, February, 2020. And the city had basically generated uh, fewer than 30,000 jobs, if I'm remembering correctly. So Mm -hmm. he fell way short of it. And then when you, when you, when you look at the full two years, what, takes in the first two months of the the pandemic, so March and April, uh, San Antonio actually lost 105,000 jobs in that two-year time period. So it's, you know, it, you know if, if you're, if you're going to grade Ron Nuremberg by the standard he set for himself, you know, in, in 2018, he failed. But it was just, like I said, it was a silly pledge because, you know, and, and, and Bronkhaus actually said this, you know, during uh, my interview with him last week, it's like, look, and he was right, you know, mayors do not create jobs. It's silly to talk about job creation as being, you know, the responsibility of of a mayor. It it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, what mayors should do is lead a council to, you know, keep regulations and taxes reasonable, you know, do, do whatever they can to ensure kind of a high quality of life, you know, solid public safety, a lot of public amenities. I mean, that's the thing that that employers, you know, especially yeah. larger employers are looking for to expand yeah. and to grow. So in that way, he's, he's done a lot better than than just his jobs number would indicate, I think. One of the things, the two that came up in that in that debate last week, and I, and I, and I, I thought about it when I was reading your column, is that both Brockhouse and and certainly the other candidates, and, and Gary Allen was, was one of the, the main ones doing this, they talked about how, you know, Nuremberg had shut down the city and, you know, completely shut down the economy, which uh, I think that, I mean, it's it's an overstatement to say that our economy was shut down. Obviously, there were a lot of restrictions p- uh, put on it. But the, the question I had mm. is, you know, when you when you look at this, I mean, a lot of what we're, we're dealing with, and, and Josh, you pointed this out a couple of weeks ago, this is really, these are really state mandates. I mean, um, Nuremberg and, 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 uh, Nelson Wolf uh, imposed some restrictions early on in the COVID uh, crisis, and then later they had they have had some things that are that were unique to them, you know, shutting down parks on holiday weekends and so on. Um, but a lot of a lot of what we've seen really has come from the state. I mean, Greg Abbott on March nineteenth of last year, almost a year ago, uh, had an executive order in which uh, he said. Uh, you know, people should avoid social gatherings, gatherings in groups of more than 10 people. Uh, they should avoid eating it and drinking at bars, restaurants, and so on, and, and do and do takeout instead. Um, you know, he, Abbott got criticism because later he reversed himself and, and he's kind of, he's, he's reversed himself a few times on some of these issues. But a lot of what we're dealing with, you know, the, the mask mandate, this is a statewide, a lot of the restrictions that were placed on businesses were statewide because the governor had the power to supersede anything that Ron Nuremberg would do on this. And so uh, I got one, one of your thoughts on this idea that that Nuremberg has shut down the economy. And then the other question being, regardless of what restrictions were in place, wouldn't the economy have suffered anyway, just because people were, were really worried about uh, going to businesses in the way that they had before? Yeah, I mean that's. I, I'm putting my old business reporter hat back on. Uh, it, it's 
You know, it, it's hard to look at the landscape now and, you know, given the fact that, you know, pretty much every business is open, unless I'm missing something, pretty much every kind of business that is allowed to be open uh, is, you know, is is already allowed to, to open. So, I mean, how much do you attribute, you know, the fact that, you know, businesses aren't doing well uh, to the fact that people don't want to go out because they're scared of catching a deadly virus, um, uh, you know, and to some degree, like, you know, when I think about like this, the sort of rhetoric of, you know, the mayor shutting down businesses, I mean, the, the county still has uh, some power over, you know, which bars can be uh, open, given, you know, the percentage of of hospital patients that have COVID, um, that, that basically they can enact additional restrictions, um, you know, if the percentage of, of uh, hospital patients with COVID hits a certain mark. Um, but, you know, even then, you know, the TABC has, you know, all of these loopholes for, for, for those kind of bars to remain open anyway. Um, and you also see, you know, crowded malls, you see, you know, parking lots in front of, you know, chain restaurants being pretty full. Uh, you, you know, I, it's something I, I honestly struggle to understand a lot of the time in terms of this mentality that, that everything is still shut down. Now it's true that businesses are still hurting and you see that with, you know, the, the way that restaurateurs have, have been uh, particularly, uh, you know, kind of upset with the mayor in terms of, you know, sort of this perceived lack of uh, financial assistance, direct financial assistance from the city to, to bars and restaurants has kind of come up over the, that's really come to the fore in the past couple of weeks. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it's, it's, it's all over the place, but it's not necessarily true anymore that the, that the, that the mayor has that much power to, to set restrictions. Yeah. Greg, what do you make of this, this narrative that, that, that he shut down the city, that Nuremberg shut down the city? Yeah, no, no, no. It's like the ultimate, I mean, for broadcast, it's kind of the ultimate in Monday morning, morning, uh, quarterbacking. I mean, it's, I think it's easy to look back, uh, a year later with the pandemic, receding. I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's leaving us very slowly. Uh, it's easy to look back and say, oh yeah, you, you overreacted early on. And I mean, it, that, that totally discounts the, the complete sense of uncertainty we all had a year ago. I mean, you know, we'd never experienced a pandemic like this in our lifetimes and we didn't know what was coming. And I mean, you know, government, you know, government intervention was totally warranted. Uh, and who knows how, how bad it could have been had there not been stay at home orders and, in in mask, mask requirements. Yeah. Um, Brian, I want to talk to you a little bit about a story you did last week, you know, obviously after the, the blackouts and the, and the, the water, outages that people had a week before last, there've been a lot of questions um, about how CPS Energy and uh, SAWS, the San Antonio Water System, handled this crisis. Uh, you know, obviously uh, the, the blackouts were mandated by the state, but you know, there were, there's been criticism of how they were implemented, uh, that they were not implemented you know, fairly or just distributed evenly across the city. And there are questions also about how you know, SAWS handled things. And you wrote about um, 
Trista Berry, who's the new county commissioner, and you know a, a, a conflict that she's got in, when it comes to uh, you know scrutinizing what happened uh, with uh, with the, the blackouts and the water outages. Right, right. If we could just go back real quick to last year, October, uh, Trish DeBerry, Commissioner DeBerry, uh, she owns a, a public relations firm, the, the DeBerry Group. And while she was running for office last year, um, she actually in October, shortly before she won, she renewed two public contracts. One of them was with the San Antonio Water System. The other one, I believe, was with uh, Brooks. Um and at the time, you know, she kind of brushed this off. I, I wrote a story. Um, it was, there was some low key drama when the San Antonio uh, Express News editorial board rescinded its uh, endorsement uh, of Barry after realizing that she had renewed these contracts. Uh, but she brushed this off. She said, you know, um, if, if I win, uh, it's, it's not going to be a conflict because at least the San Antonio water system contract would not be a conflict because the county has no direct oversight of SAWS. It's a, it's a city-owned utility. The, there's no county representation on the SAWS board. Uh, so she brushed it off. Uh, but I, it's interesting because after the storm, you know, this kind of brought into stark relief why perhaps some would think there is a, a conflict or at least a perceived conflict. Um, because, you know, everyone, uh, every local elected official is reviewing the performance of our local utilities, CPS Energy and the and SAWS, because um, there were a number of issues that came up with this uh, near catastrophe with the with the power grid almost completely going down and and the rolling blackouts. And uh, you know, um, my story last week kind of took a look at how Trish navigated um, this uh, this issue uh, while being. Uh, you know, quite literally paid by saws, uh, to, uh, to, to craft their public image. You know, she's, she renewed her contract last October. It's a $175,000 extension, mm -hmm. one year extension her contract. And so, um, you know, she's, and, and it's interesting. She, you know, she, at the commissioner's court meeting last week, she did appear to, to heap more of the blame, the local response to the disaster on CPS Energy rather than SAWS. Yeah, so so she is, is is there a sense about what she's going going to do going forward? I mean, she's so she's locked into this contract until you know late this year, or what's what's the situation with that contract? Right, I think it's uh, later this year. Uh, it, it expires probably you know around October, around the time she renewed it for another year. Everyone she seems hasn't to given be brushing any, it off. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? No, she hasn't given any indication um, that she's or that she's going to sever the contract. Or I don't know if she she no, would even be able to do that. No, yeah. no. And actually, uh, you know, Nelson Wolf, uh, Bear County Judge Nelson Wolf, he appointed Commissioner DeBerry as a county liaison to the mayor's uh, panel hmm. investigating mm -hmm. how the city responded and the, and the utilities responded to the disaster. And when I called Nelson and, and said, does it give you pause that Saws is literally paying her, um, paying her PR firm at the moment? He said, no, no, because, you know, it expires. It's going to expire soon. And um, it's, it's not, not a concern. Um, and 
Commissioner DeBerry also, I mean, when I called her, she pointed out that she's had conversations with the district attorney's office. Um, and she tells me that the, the district attorney's office has assured her, her that there's no real conflict. And uh, if there were to be some vote that were to come up in commissioner's court, mm-hmm. then she would uh, recuse herself. But, uh, you know, Wolf said much the same thing. He said there's no there's no direct actions yeah. taken by by the commissioners on, on the mayor's panel. It's more just go and observe and report back to the county. Greg, I'm curious to get your take on this. You've, you've covered politics for a long time and we've, we've seen candidates with, with yeah. conflict conflicts or perceived conflicts. I mean, what do you, what do you make yeah, of this I mean, situation? It, it, it's really squishy. I mean, you see the same thing with, uh, commissioner, uh, Justin Rodriguez, who is, he's a bond attorney. You know, he, he works out of an Austin office, but it's, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, he's got to be mindful of, you know, if his law firm gets involved in any, you know, any uh, county contracts, he would have to recuse himself. But there's no, uh, you know, there are no, there's nothing uh, they're doing, either he's doing or Trish DeBerry is doing that that is in violation of of the law. I mean, it, it's, you know, it is kind of the Wild West when it comes to county government. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can be involved in any kind of business outside of your role as county commissioner, as long as it doesn't have direct business dealings with with the county. The problem, of course, is that especially with something like uh, communications work, you know, the the PR field, you know, there are ways to exert influence that's not direct. I mean, there are all kinds mm-hmm. of ways to do direct influence. I mean, if, if Trish DeBerry's firm gets a new contract with uh, an entity that does a lot of business with the county, I mean, that's not a violation of the law because it's not, you know, it, it's not business that's coming directly to the county, but like, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. possible that there was, you know, that she had exerted some influence yeah. to get that to get that contract. I'm, I am in no way saying that that's happened or that it would happen. I'm just saying it's a possibility. And that's alarming. Uh, just that, you know, you have to be kind of suspicious of your county commissioners if they have outside work like that. Yeah. And it's yeah, a hard and thing and to, to control me, and to monitor. Go ahead, Brian. I'm yeah. Sorry. To, uh, yeah. I was going to say to me, it raises the question of as she's scrutinizing these, the, the, these utilities for how they responded. And she's in some ways she's, she's crafting the, the you know, she's influencing the official response or, the, uh, you know, investigation into how, how all this unfolded because, you know, she's, she's at the table and she's observing and reporting back to the County. Um, I mean, it just raises the question, is she going to, uh, is she going to give saws a pass? And actually in my story, it was interesting. The Nelson said that he felt that, uh, you know, saws decision to allow CPS energy to cut power to their, to, to more than a dozen pump stations, you know, in the middle of the crisis was mm-hmm. a mistake. Um, but when I asked yeah. commissioner DeBerry what she thought, she she gave saws a pass and basically said um, they didn't have a choice. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Greg, you talked about the County being the wild West and obviously the, the our counties in Texas are an arm of the state. And so mm-hmm. imposing any kind right. of, uh, you know, reforms, uh, ethics reforms or campaign, you know, finance laws, it, it's a, it's a hard thing to do, but it is possible that there are, there are ways to do things through the legislature where you could carve out something where that's really specifically tailored to San Antonio. If you look at mm. saying 
passing something that would apply to a to a county of with a certain population, you know, within a certain population range or whatever. Right. That, yeah. would, that would that would conform yeah, exactly to San Antonio, and those kinds of things have been done in other other you know on behalf of other counties in the state. I think there needs to be more you know thought about. Uh, trying to whether mm-hmm. whether the other counties in the state whatever they're doing that re- regardless of that I think that there should be some some thought about Bayer County trying to uh, to start to impose some some kind of uh, rules on the way <laughs> our elected officials you know conduct themselves. Um, it's oh yeah you know I mean and yeah. not only not only in terms of outside employment but I mean they've got no campaign finance limits. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's a huge problem, but yeah, it's you're absurd. right. Totally. Yeah. It's absurd. Um, yeah. well, we're, we're going to, we're going to wrap things up there. We'll be back next week. We're going to have, uh, you know, one of the most interesting council races is uh, district two. We're going to have a candidate, uh, who's getting a lot of attention uh, in district two, uh, as our guest next week. So we're looking forward to that. Hope you all of you all are doing well and, uh, we'll, we'll be back with you next week. Take care.